The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. I want you to grab your Bibles. Let's open our Bibles. Uh, open your iPhones or your iPads or at least your eyelids. And uh, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. The title of the message is Your Spiritual Journey. God has for every uh, person that He has created in His image. Uh, you're, you're not just here to live life. You're certainly not here just to exist. But God has and invites us to join Him in a walk. Literally, living life is described in the Bible as a walk with God. So if that is new to you, that, that's kind of familiar language within the church is, how's your walk going? What they mean is, how's your relationship with God going? And the invitation to walk with God, He walks with us, just as Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. <laughs> he was hidden to them, and then He revealed to them that, I'm alive, I was crucified, but I've risen from the dead. So the Lord wants to walk with you, and He has a journey uh, for you. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You for those who are with us today, and I thank you for all of those who are joining us online, uh, those who are listening by radio. Um, Lord, we just want to open our minds and open our heart and, and ask that the Holy Spirit would now uh, kindle within us, Lord, that, that fire. May your word come alive. We're not just studying ancient stories, but it's a living story with a living Lord and Savior. Your word lives. Uh, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce through uh, and to go all the way into our spirit, to our spirit man, and, and speak to us. And Lord, your words create life, and they bring your glory, and they bring your kingdom, and they bring heaven, and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace in abundance. So, Lord, may your word speak to us. May we hear it, and may we receive it. May we embrace it and, and add it, Lord, into our, our lives. Uh, may you be glorified. We ask all of these things in Jesus' wonderful and worthy name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so last uh, week we talked about, Jesus was talking about marriage, um, and we discovered that a happy marriage is not an accident. It is something that you, it requires a level of commitment. And we talked about, not only you're making a commitment to one another, but we talked about a very special kind of commitment, a covenant commitment. Uh, the idea that it's about, it's not just all about you, but it's about sacrifice and the example, of course, of Jesus Christ. Um, and so as we make that covenant commitment and love and mutual understanding and sacrifice, and hard work. Uh, it promises that couples can not only have a marriage, but they can experience a growing, healthy relationship that God will minister to you and even reveal His special love to you in that way. Well, so we pick up where we left off, and amazingly now, Jesus begins to address singles. So I realize that we have many singles at various stages in your life. So here's the first life lesson that I want to share with us this morning, if you want to follow along and fill in the blank there, because Jesus 
uh, talks now on the successful single, the single life, the single person, the single experience of a relationship with the Lord. In verse 11, Jesus said, he said to them, now all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. Now, by the way, go back to verse 10, his disciples after Jesus kind of landed on, well, there were two schools of thought about divorce and marriage. One side said, yeah, you can divorce pretty much for any little reason. You just have to write him a bill of divorcement. You know, it could have been something silly and just like, I'm done with you, and you write it. Uh, And there was another side that said, no, in extreme cases or for infidelity. So they were asking Jesus, where do you land on this? And Jesus said, no, in the beginning it was not so. The first marriage was performed by God with Adam and Eve, a man and a woman committed together and for, the, for an entire life, and that what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So Jesus gave a very uh, powerful focus on that. Well, look at his disciples' response in verse 10. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> They're just like, wow, that's, that's too hard uh, to be in that relationship and, and just be, you know, focused on that one uh, married partner and, oh, maybe it's better not to be married at all. Well, out of that, Jesus goes on to say, and he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. And then he talks about eunuchs. Now, eunuch is a word for singleness that has a broad description in ancient times, but there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Um, so Jesus is talking about you know, being single, but he talks about eunuchs. Um, and he says there are some... And and there are to this day some people that God's gift, God's call in your life is that you're going to be single. And for those who have the gift of being single, they don't struggle with it. They don't, you know, it's not like, oh, gosh, I want to be married, but God made me be single or whatever. No, they, they have no desire for marriage. They have no desire to have that kind of relationship. They just love God and they just want to serve God. And so if God has called you in that way, what Jesus says, that's okay. I also realize, having just discussed marriage and divorce, that, you know, as I share this morning's message, not only with all of you that are here this morning, um, but we have many people, you know, I think we have about 3,000 people online that are watching and sharing and listening. So if you're single right now at this time because you've been through a divorce or maybe you're a widow and you're single, I want to just talk to you that are single right now for whatever reason, under the blood of Jesus Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if you are single here this morning and right now, it, it, there's something very special about that. It's not just sometimes in church we make it, oh, it's, you've got to be married or that's the you know, preferred way. That's not really true. Jesus honors the single life. In fact, you know that one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, a man named Daniel, a very special man, and his three friends were eunuchs. Now, they were made eunuchs 
In ancient times, uh, kings would surround themselves with the youngest, brightest, most gifted and talented, and often because they wanted them to focus on assisting them, they would make them eunuchs. And apparently that was what had happened and was the case with Daniel. Daniel was never married. He never had a wife nor his friends, but he was devoted to God. And God gave him divine dreams and divine revelations and divine prophetic understanding that literally went from the time of Daniel some 2,500 years ago all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So what I want to just share with you is that if, you know, for those who are single, and by the way, you know, let's say you're in a situation you're single now, uh, but you're like, but I don't know that I'm called to be single for my whole life. Okay. Uh, there's no pressure that you have to stay that way. If God has someone for you, praise God. God will bring that person. He's preparing them for you. He's preparing you for them. And at the right time, how many would agree God always sets us up? He always sets us up and he brings us together. But when you are, for right now, single, take advantage of it. For however long that season is, uh, for those who are widows, those who are, at this time, you are single, um, this is a great season. It's not forever. It's for a season. It's a gift from God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who had such a tremendous influence, and in fact, he's the primary writer that the Holy Spirit used in the New Testament. Paul was single. He was totally committed to the Lord, and God gave him amazing supernatural revelation. Well, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 34, he talks about uh, the advantages of being single and having a personal relationship with the Lord. Let's, so let's read this out loud together. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. So Paul is just saying, if you are married, you've got to give a lot of time and attention, as is appropriate, to your spouse and the things pertaining to this life in this world. But he's looking at the advantages of, I don't have those responsibilities or those cares. Wow, I can just spend even more time communing with the Lord. He goes on in the next uh, couple of verses. Let's read this. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So as Paul addresses this and talks about it, for all of you that are single here right now, I want to speak a word of blessing to you. For this moment, for this season, for this time, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you will, maybe even now here this morning, hearing this word, receive that God has blessed you, that God has honored you, that God has given you an opportunity, and, and it's nothing to look down upon. It's something actually uh, to be blessed by and say that, wow, Lord, I have been given a unique season or a unique opportunity or a unique time to totally yield myself and commit myself to you and your purposes and your kingdom, to be set apart, to be holy unto the Lord, to spend extra time just thinking about you and our relationship and walking hand in hand with the Lord. 
in Jesus' mighty name. May that be your blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so then after Jesus talks about the single life and blessing of the single life, now he starts talking about blessing little children. Verses 13 through 15, it says, Then little children were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he departed from there. I love thinking about this scene here is uh, Jesus is ministering and look, I mean, talk about th this is, this is the, the messianic program. He is saying, I am sent from heaven. I wasn't just born 33 years ago. I am from eternity. I came from heaven by my father and with my father and he sent me here. I'm on a messianic mission to save the whole world. So the disciples are taking all of that, but then their parents, because every time Jesus opens his mouth, heaven comes out. Uh, when he speaks, literally, the wind and the waves obey his word and his command. When Jesus speaks, the demons who are real scream and come out of people. If there is sickness or disease, he opens his mouth and they are touched and healed. If they are dead, the dead are raised. So obviously parents are like, wow, I want to bring, you know, my little son, my little daughter to Jesus. And so they're kind of crashing the program and who knows, maybe Jesus is speaking or whatever. And, and the disciples are like, oh, get those kids out of here. Those, you know, those little annoying little children, get them out of the way. We've got more important things. And Jesus says, no, do not hinder the little children. They are not an interruption. They are not uh, distracting from my call or my purpose. Come, come, come. So you can imagine the little boys and girls, they run to Jesus and the parents come up and then Jesus, he prays for them, he lays hands upon them and he blesses them. Now what Jesus did, I want to say, shows a very high priority um, that even for us, for our generation, all of us, not only with our own children, but in the family of God, which is the church, we have many little boys and girls who are part of our family, and it's all of our responsibility as spiritual adults and parents to bless children, to not make them feel like they're an interruption, but that they are honored and they are loved and they are blessed. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. So in the name of Jesus, and especially little ones, you know, that can get offended, they can get hurt, they can, they're, they're not fully molded yet. And you as a believer, I want you to notice the little boys and the little girls, you know, the, the ones that are off by themselves or they don't have any confidence or they're afraid and all. And you as an adult, maybe remembering your experience as a child, when you have an opportunity to seek them out or to commend them or to say, wow, I, I noticed this about you, and you speak a word of blessing over them, it's extremely powerful. And then when they see an adult who is a man of God or a woman of God speaking into their lives, recognizing them, seeing them, acknowledging them, loving them, blessing them, it's extremely powerful. So let us be a generation that welcomes 
uh, all of those who are younger than us, and, and love them, bless them, encourage them, as Jesus blessed the little children. Amen? Okay, let's go on to verse, uh, verse 16. So now we kind of come to the, one of the main parts of the story here. In verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, Well, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as we get into this discussion of this, uh, this young man, I want you to note this, because now we're getting to the issue of salvation. This young man uh, and, and this whole story revolves around several important questions. Notice what the young man asked Jesus. What good thing shall I do? In other words, what good works must I do in order to inherit eternal life? That's a very interesting question. And it's interesting that this particular story uh, is told in each of the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this story. And if we combine, you know, Matthew's version, Mark, and then Luke, and put it all together, we find out he was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. Therefore, he's called the young, rich ruler. Ruler being he had already, as a young man, a very wealthy and very prosperous and very blessed, was a ruler within the synagogue or within the religious community. He is a serious believer in God, and he's asking Jesus, who many are saying is the Messiah, what do I have to do? What is the most important uh, things that I need to uh, obey in order that I may inherit eternal life? And while this young man was sincere, his approach to salvation was based on works and not on faith. So the Lord's going to kind of reveal to him something. So, the, but the first thing we notice is he said, good master. And immediately Jesus picks up on that and, and he says, hey, wait a minute. You just called me good. There's only one who is good. And in that word good, he means holy, perfect, complete. Good master. Jesus says, wait a second, the only one who is pure, the only one who is holy, the only one who is truly good is God. And I believe what Jesus was inferring is, are you calling me God or equal to God? That's what Jesus was really revealing. But then when he asked the question, Jesus starts giving him, you know, some of the commandments. Um, why did Jesus bring up the commandments? Was Jesus saying that people actually get into heaven and, and eternal life by obeying God's laws? No. It's interesting the ones Jesus mentions, because we're going to see in a moment, he says, oh, I do all of those. But there's one Jesus didn't mention, and that's the where he's going to really focus in on. Thou shalt not covet. This man had a lot of wealth. And when Jesus challenges him, are you willing to give up all that wealth? So that wealth is not your God, but only God is God. 
So he's revealing something to him. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 is not in your notes, but if you want to write down uh, that cross-reference, it says it very plainly. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Nobody will get into heaven because they are able to obey all of God's commands because all of us will fall short. Can I hear an amen on that? Nobody gets to heaven by being good. Okay, so if you come to church at all, you should know, you know that salvation is basically a gift from God. Um, but here's the thing. Outside the church, for the common person, you know, as we walk up and down these neighborhoods, we're passing out, inviting them to church or whatever, and you ask the, just the guy in the street, how do you get to heaven? How many times have you heard this answer? Well, look, uh, if basically you're a good person, you're, you're probably going to be in heaven. And you ask them, well, so do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I think so. I hope so. And, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most, and I haven't done the really bad things. And, and millions of people actually believe that God grades on a curve, you know, and, and that if you're basically a good person, you get to heaven. Here's, here's the truth, and it's very, very important that we all get this. Nobody is good enough to go into heaven. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it puts it this way in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's read this scripture out loud together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Have you ever thought about it? What if we actually did get into heaven based on our good deeds? Could you imagine what heaven would be like? Everybody bragging, well, let me tell you how I got here. Because I was a pretty cool guy. And I did this and I did that. But the reality is no one is good enough. No one gets to heaven by their good deeds. But everybody can get into heaven. And this is what's beautiful about it. All seven billion people can be saved no matter how good or bad they may be, because salvation is a gift. It is a free gift that is given by God through his son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive the gift and believe and trust in him that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead and invite him into your heart and ask forgiveness and you are given the gift of life. Hallelujah, Jesus, amen? amen. Are you thankful for that gift? Do We got it. Now, here's the thing. In this, you know, because I'm sure you have people in your family that they still don't get it, and you probably try to, you know, share with them or whatever, and how does the Lord feel about them? In one of the other Gospels, I think uh, uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 21, in the middle of this conversation with this young man who thought he could get to heaven by his good deeds, Mark tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion for him. Olive, have you ever been in a conversation, you're talking with someone, they're not, they don't really, they're not getting it, but all of a sudden you, you see them and you just, your heart burns for them, you yearn for them, you just love them. Oh, I really want them to get this and I really want them to see. I love that the rich young ruler, while in the middle of the whole conversation where Jesus is explaining to this young man, you're not going to get into heaven by your good deeds. But through the gift of God, he was moved with compassion upon him. Now, look, I realize we got a, there's a lot going on in our country. 
geopolitically and debates and arguments and different generations view, you know, things from a different angle. And sometimes one generation, especially the ones as we get older and we've had more life experience and we look at the young ones and sometimes we say, man, you guys don't get it. You're not with the program. Oh my gosh, how could you think that way? But, and we judge them. I love this. Here is Jesus who is taking a younger rich ruler, man, and he's moved with compassion. I want to say this. May God give us a fresh love for the millennials that are coming up. Can I hear an amen on that? Many of them are our own children. And then there's the wise. Uh, they're called the Y generation. They're coming up underneath them. May God give us compassion. May we feel a sudden love for them as we share with them the gospel. All right, so um, now this brings up a question with the young men. So we're going to kind of dial it all in and land this, uh, this message here. Uh, verse, beginning in verse 20. The young man said to Jesus, all these things I have kept from my youth. So Jesus, yeah, this, he didn't mention all of them, but a few of the commandments, yeah. He goes, I've done all those since I was a young boy growing up and going to synagogue. But then notice what he asks, what do I still lack? I love the honesty of this young man. In other words, he's saying, I feel like I'm missing something. There are many of our younger generation today, as they're growing up and they're entering into the workforce and into life and into politics and into the whole world, and they know that there is something missing. They know that there is something lacking. And I love how the Lord graciously, lovingly drew that out. And the young man was honest. He said, I, I know I'm lacking something. I'm missing something. And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I think of this young man, and as, as he brought that question, and Jesus, now Jesus, he gave some general, but now he says, okay, you only lack one thing. What Jesus was doing was revealing to him, there's one, one of the commandments you're kind of not following. You love all that wealth. You love all that money. You love all those blessings. And in many ways, what Jesus is inferring is, wealth is your God. Would you be willing to go sell all that you have, give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me? Now, here, there, we can't take that and say, Jesus didn't say this to everybody. In fact, uh, later, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy Jewish person, and Jesus never told Joseph, let alone Nicodemus, hey, go sell all you have. He's not saying that for everybody. He was zeroing in on one young man, whose God was money. And anything that is a rival to God, God has to be number one. He wants to be first and foremost in our lives. If there's anything else in your life, whatever it is, fill in the blank, that's higher than him, and that's your God, that's what you have to sacrifice. That's what you have to let go of. Only God can be first in your heart. Amen? Amen. That's all that we can do. So, look, we have a, a, a clear goal here uh, at Maranatha, and I want to just say to all of you, God has a desire for you to go on a spiritual journey, and there are several things He wants. Number one, 
He wants all of you, young men, young women, all generations, to know God. He wants you to, to know Him. You can know Him personally. You can have a personal relationship with the living God. But once you start having that relationship, once you're actually saved, did you know, number two, He wants to give you freedom. He wants you to help, to help you find freedom. Let go of things that are hindering you and holding you back. This young man had a lot of things that were kind of dragging him down, holding him back. And what Jesus revealed was, you love money too much. If you'll let that love go, you will find a new freedom. It says he was very wealthy and he walked away sad. Does that mean he was lost for eternity? No. We don't know what happened to the young man. We won't know what happened to that young man until we get to heaven. My hope and prayer is he walked away because, wow, I'm really wealthy, and I don't know if I can do that. And I hope and pray that the love of Jesus and the truth that he poured into his life, that eventually he repented and he came back and he got saved. Amen? We don't know. But the Lord wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom, every issue that's holding you back from knowing God. But thirdly, and this is my desire as your pastor, not only do I desire that you know God and have a relationship with Him. Not only do I want you to find freedom, as many are experiencing new freedoms and new things that are being taken away that have been hindering you. But here's the next one that I wanna, I wanna push the button like, go, 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 go. I want you to find your divine purpose. You're not here just to be saved and to live a life, pay bills and exist. Every single one of you is a child of God. You have a divine design. You have a divine purpose. I can't tell you what it is. It's a discovery in your own walk with God that you have to make and that you have to discover. But I am telling you that there are multitudes of Christians who go to church and are religious who really have no idea what their divine purpose is. But God has a divine design, He has a divine purpose, and He wants you to tap into it, to know it, to experience it. That's why we started this whole thing with Growth Track, to try to help people kind of take the next steps and find out what that is. And here's the deal. Once you, I'm telling you, you will go from just living and existing, you will go to into the stratosphere of joy and enjoyment of life. The Spirit will begin flowing in and through your life when you start entering into the divine purpose, the divine design that God has given you. And then, because here's where it all lands, you and your life and your walk with God literally starts making a difference. You make a difference, and the first people who will notice it is within your own family. It will, have, it will change the atmosphere within your own home, within your own family, among your own friends, and, and even work takes on a new significance and purpose by making a difference. So I say to all of you that are here, you are somewhere on that journey that God has for you. God always has, there's the old, and then there's the new. The Bible ha is divided into two parts. There's the old covenant, and then there's the new covenant. When Jesus came, he said, look, I have new wine. He's talking about the Spirit. He says, but my Father will not pour new wine, new life, new meaning, new purpose. He won't pour that into old wineskins. Why? Because an old wineskin is by its nature, it's, it's brittle. 
And new, new wine begins to, as it, as it grows and, and within nature, it begins to expand and burst with new life and new, as God designed it. And the new wine would break the old wineskins. Therefore, Jesus said, I only pour new wine into new wineskins that can flex and move and grow with what God wants to do. So, here's what I want to say. I believe, look, this is for all of us, we all have an old wineskin that we need to get rid of. And how many of you are ready for your new wineskin to stretch and to grow and be moved to where God wants you to go? Can I hear an amen on that? Okay, that's pretty tame. I know it's for a service, but come on. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, you ready? There's certain things to let go of. And I want you to do, we're going to do this real quick. Number one, I want you to move on. The Lord wants you to move on from old history. All of you, you know, everybody has to work with a computer these days. You know how there's a thing, a little button where you can clear history. It's kind of like, you know, let's clean it all up. Uh, you know, maybe you've looked at things that you shouldn't have or gone places you shouldn't have gone or whatever. You just go clear history. I want you to know this. As you come to Jesus Christ, some of you have been through a divorce. Some of you have been through a bankruptcy. Some of you have been through, man, long battles, health issues, whatever. I want you to push the button, clear history. Put it all under the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to put it this way. Do not let your past define who you are today. Can I hear an amen on that? Look with me in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. This is the prophet Isaiah. And, and he couldn't have put it any more clear or direct right from the word of God. Let's read it out loud. Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I am doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I am making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. I love that. What a good dad. That's just what some of his children need to hear this morning. Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over past times, mistakes, it's done. The egg is scrambled, it's okay. We come and we receive forgiveness. God says, but I'm doing something new in you and with you. And it's springing up, can't you see that? I want you to focus on that. So move on from old history, push the clear button. Number two, move on from old habits. Very simply, I wanna say this. Look, in a fallen, in a broken world, we're all sinners saved by the amazing grace of God. All of us have addictions that we maybe have crept into our lives. Part of entering into a living, dynamic relationship with God is that you, you break or let go of or get rid of addictions of all kinds. Um, one, of the, one of the best things about our prayer and fasting is it breaks up your pattern. It's actually very healthy for you. Um, and, and it just kind of, it's like a reset button for you physically. We can do the same thing. We can let go of old habits, separate from the world so that you focus on God. And then thirdly, uh, I want you to do this. I want you to decide this morning you're going to move on from old hurts. All right? Oh, it hurts. Okay, yes, that's true. But you can't live in the past. Um, you say, well, what, what am I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Nothing. You forgive. We've talked about forgiveness. You forgive and you let it go. You receive forgiveness and you move on. 
And again, this is found right in the scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's read this out loud. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hear this, this is a word of the Lord for someone here today. You cannot start the new chapter that God wants to write in your life if you just keep repeating the old chapter you've been in over and over again. Do not, in the name of Jesus, let your past define who you are. God is bigger, God is greater, God has forgiven you, God has set you free, you will learn from it, you will grow from it, you will become better because of it, and even some of our ministry comes out of the misery of what we've experienced. We see someone stuck where we were, we go, I know where you are, and I know how to get you out. Can I hear an amen on that? All right, well, let's close with verses 23 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Is they trusting, oh, as long as I have money, I can do whatever I want. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Basically, it's not just money and wealth, but it's somebody that thinks, you know, I, got, I don't need God. I want to say, are you out of your mind? Are you dealing with reality? Are you here? No. And when his disciples heard it, though, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, now think, listen to this, with men, this is impossible. If it's just on us and our good deeds, we're hopeless. But with God, all things are possible. Would you say that out loud with me? With God, all things are possible. And I love that. We're, we're going to stop there for right now. But the way of salvation is basically through repentance. That's where Jesus wanted to lead the disciples. That's where he was wanting to lead that young man. I hope that young man came to the place of repentance. And I'll close with this last scripture. It's from the beginning of our journey through the gospel of uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Let's read it out loud. From that time... Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Greek word for repent is metanoia. Meta means change. Change what? Change your mind. I want you to know that the word repentance, when Jesus said and started preaching repent, what he was saying was change your mind. Change your way of thinking because your thinking is bad. Your thinking is what is holding you back. That is your problem. They lived even then in such a religious world, but such a negative world. And so we've got we've to, so when God reveals truth, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you hear how good the truth is, how sweet the truth is, how blessed and we're given the gift of eternal life, it changes your mind. It changes your way of thinking. Sadly, the word repentance has this negative, you know, connotation. You know, people, some guy, crazy guy with a sandwich board yelling in the corner, very angry, repent, repent. Look, the word repent is one of the greatest, sweetest words, one of the most life-affirming words you will ever know in your life. 
It is an honor and a privilege when you've been stuck in the old ways and the old habits and the old thinking and the old hurts and the truth comes and forgiveness and healing and salvation and hope and purpose and future comes, bam, you change your mind. That's what repentance means. It's the greatest gift. We get to repent all the way from Genesis to Revelation, change and exchange my old way of thinking, your stinking thinking, for good thinking, the truth, the word of God that will set you free. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.